Arg, Grog. Hey everyone, it's the Sideship Podcast with me, Peter Fickling, and Matthew Weir. Kerry is where, Matthew? I want to say over Dubai or something at the moment? Well, she's on her way to Dubai. I think she's right. probably um, over India as we speak or get heading in that direction. Should have flight tracked her, shouldn't I? Um, but yeah, it's going to be exciting to have her back. Um, I wonder what she will have made of this week. Uh, it's a bit of an odd one. I know that you are exhausted, so I think the expectation is for me to carry this this pod, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. I've been um, decorating the new apartment on my own this week. And uh, yeah, I th- think I've been inhaling a lot of fumes and getting a, a lot of dust <laughs> blowing around my system. So I'm a little bit uh, otherworldly. I mean, I decorated my uh, my um, my old house, and um, I remember afterwards, I was like, "Oh God, it really is hard work, isn't it, being a decorator?" So yeah, more power to them. Let's have an ad, and then we can get stuck into all of the nonsense. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once; it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Let's just get the Jenny stuff out of the way. Um, because uh, I cannot imagine there's anyone who um, really wants to dwell on it too much. So apparently Jenny's will is controversial, blah, blah, blah. Alice, blah, blah, blah. Everyone's concerned. But now um, Adam and Ian have had a mini spat with Chris, but then they made it all up. Is that about it? That is it. And I've got to be honest, I was doing bits while I was trying to listen to The Archers this week. And at one point I thought, oh, shit, I must have pressed last week's episodes. <laughs> it was just yeah. Alice and Brian moaning about the will. You say that, that's exactly what I did when I was listening, because I, I listened to it all on, um, uh, what's it called? What's it called? Uh, uh, Listen Again. And yeah, and I, I went back and checked the, the date. I was so convinced I'd made a mistake. Yeah. I mean, it's, this storyline has gone on two weeks too long, and it's only been going two weeks, hasn't it? Yeah. Why is she so annoyed that she's got 15 grand i think you're supposed to say something sensitive like she's grieving um or uh you know the very person that she would turn to in a moment of crisis like this isn't there the irony that it's her mother who's causing this stress but also isn't the person who can who can comfort her well when the suggestions are to divvy up the money she's against that ian's got his dander up about it he's dropping little uh snarky bombs isn't he in that bloody awful exchange on Thursday where they were all talking over each other. It's like sometimes I edit the podcast and I cut something out and then 
I haven't cut it out of all of our channels and suddenly we're all talking over each other and I have to go back and find the mistake. And that's what I thought they'd done on Thursday's episode. I was like, this, this is terrible to listen to. It's an oral assault. I don't want to hear this. Even in a real situation, I don't think people talk over each other that much. I mean, actually, our editing of the pod, that's probably one of the few moments where we get to understand some of the craft that goes into making the arches at a very kind of weak level, where we artificially pull bits of speech apart because it's just unlistenable when we're actually all, you know, getting stuck in at the same time. It was like an awful delayed phone call on the news at 10 from 1986, wasn't it? Like Kate Ad in mm. Beirut. <laughs> she had to wait like five minutes and then and then to respond to a question, then she'd end up talking over them. I'm immediately thinking about Brian O'Hanra O'Hanrahan on uh, the day-to-day um, with... Uh, Peter, <laughs> Peter, Peter O'Hanrahan O'Hanrahan. Peter O'Hanrahan O'Hanrahan, yeah, where uh, uh, Chris Morris tears him to pieces. Yeah. Peter, you've lost the news! <laughs> I was actually thinking on the way to do this today, like I can't do another week where I just say I don't care about a bit of plot or I don't care about this or that. I did actually found myself a little bit moved or kind of like motivated by some of the other plots, but this one, just this one, I just, I couldn't summon anything. No, but luckily Chris is back and he's got the answer. Bell ringing. (laughs) I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. I. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. That was quite a good, that was quite a good gag. I did. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it will, I mean, it will go down very badly, won't it? Or, or maybe, maybe we're all wrong. Maybe Alice will take to it like a like a, a duck to water. Yes, and um, I'm trying to imagine when Neil rings the bells, doesn't he? He's part of that whole bell ringing crowd. So it's going to be it's going to be her ex husband, her ex father in law. It's going to yeah, it's going to be well jolly. I think Chris has really thought this through. I like mm. the way that even Adam and Ian, you know, Adam doesn't have many moments of clarity, but he was like, bell ringing. <laughs> like he just suggested the wildest thing ever. My stepfather is a campanologist. Oh, yeah? And I remember when he first when he first turned up on the scene, um, I'm, I remember my mum saying, oh, he's a bell ringer. And these days, I know that I understand the craft that goes into it and um, I respect his dedication to it over many, many years in many, many churches and the effort he put in. But I remember when I was nine, I was like, this, this was a pretty big uh, black mark in his ledger, as far as I was concerned. <laughs> was like, this is not, this is not too, you know, this is not a, a cool thing to do. But yeah, I've, I've been, tu- I've been turned around. I'm now, a, yeah. A feeling of deja vu that you've told me this before. Uh, I probably have. I mean, let's face it. I mean, it definitely rings a bell. Hey, oh, did I miss that joke? Yeah, I was just building it up. Sorry. Oh, okay. Even even in my weekends, that that's kind of like you know when like Batistuta kind of mishits the ball, but it still trickles over the line. That's kind of where I'm at this week. I I feel it's more it's more Michael Jordan in the Last Dance when he plays with a fever, and they almost kind of have to carry him onto the court like James um, James um, Brown. Hmm then spring to life to you know ensure ensure the victory before collapsing again um i don't think there's any insult to michael jordan to make that comparison with today's efforts matthew well done and thank you (laughs) thanks do you think i can sell my trainers that i wear that we record the podcast in for millions well i'm looking forward to being um being on the netflix um you know documentary 
bitterly. I'll be the Scotty Pippen ba- bitterly railing against <laughs> you after you've claimed all the glory. No Tiffin Pippen. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. That's uh, uh, for anyone who doesn't know. That was um, Scotty's nickname because he was so cheap in Chicago when he was um, ladding it around. But yeah, what a guy. I was listening to Oliver get more and more upset about his beautiful bench. And at first I tried to be sort of empathetic and kind-hearted and sort of think, no, this man has lost his wife and this is a a, a, a place of solace and quiet contemplation. And especially as, you know, it's the, the, he's trying to rebuild the business that meant so much to him and her. And he's put so much trust in these boys and to find out that these, you know, these two fine lads who he thought were so wonderful have desecrated his sweet Caroline's, um, you know, um, uh, memorial. And then it just went on and on and he got more and more kind of like, you know, sort of patrician and sort of arch. And by the end of it, I was like, no, this guy's an absolute twat. Well, I was waiting for a taxi. I never saw a thing and I don't know nothing. (laughs) Yeah. He was very much the same. Well, it's just yes and no answers with him, isn't it? So Tracy was like, so have you thought about it? Yes. And have you made up your mind? No. But you know Brad's a good boy. And it's just, do you remember he was exactly the same way when he caught Tracy at work trying to shag Jazzer in one of the... Bedroom. Actually, now I say that, that sounds very bad. Having worked in hospitality, that is a bit dodgy. But um, he treated her the same way, didn't he? he? It was, and it was shortly before he announced that he was giving it all up or giving up sixty uh, percent yes. of it. And he was just like, you know, I'm very disappointed in you, Tracy. And she was like, I know, I know, I've let you down. Yes, you have. And it's just this delivery. I don't know why he does that. I mean, maybe that's just in his nature and he can't, he's just very old fashioned. It is consistent. Because mm. he did do it, he did do it when he, um, when he felt like he'd let the side down, when he didn't go in and, you know, rescue everyone from the fire and he stood there and other men, other men were up to the task, but I, I did, I did nothing. I was impotent, you know, when the, when the, when there was the explosion. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So he has, I mean, he's been through the... I know a lot of people don't like Oliver. You're not too keen on him, are you, as a character? You know, I like Oliver. I like Oliver a great deal. I just I just don't like that side of him. I don't like that kind of, you know... Uh, um, as is often the case with the Archers, I don't like bits of the show that reflect parts of the country that I have a problem with. And that kind of unthinking, do-your-duty, Middle England kind of nonsense does wind me up a bit. So... I it it upsets me more because it's a character I like distorted into doing something that I find quite repellent. But he's been manipulated, hasn't he? Even at this stage by George. He doesn't know. Yeah. I got the impression at the end. Well, we're gonna. I'm gonna skip to the end here. But I got the impression tonight that final conversation between him and George reminded me a bit of when Vince was sizing up Steph with her version of what happened between her and Ben, I felt I feel like he's giving him, giving him enough rope and he can see through George, I think. And I think he knows. You, re- you reckon? I hope so. Yeah, I like your optimism. 
Yeah, I, I hope so. My, my lovely wife and I, our most frequent sort of, uh, not arguments, but kind of like light bickers are where she is endlessly optimistic and I am, you know, uh, what I feel is sensibly pessimistic or realistic. <laughs> this is it's like the opposite of my relationship. <laughs> you're the you're the you're the sunny optimistic one. Well, I I yeah. do, but I want you to be right. I want I want my wife to be right. Right. I want you to be right. But I just have a horrible feeling that you know it's not the case. I th- I, th- I think that we're going to be tortured by by George, kind of like you know uh, trying to get his way. But as I said, mm. I do hope you're right. One thing we have to say, he's really leaning in on it, but this is the easiest fucking case Harrison's ever had, isn't it? And he's milking it. <laughs> <laughs> he's got, I mean, for him, it, I, I think he thinks this is his prime suspect moment, like bringing down the Yorkshire Ripper or something. He's got two kids who have broken into a a disused hotel and have broken a bench and pulled some branches off a tree. And he's like, all right. Maybe I'll just go down the room and say what the other guy says. Then <laughs> I was like, "What? It's ludicrous!" He's absolutely yeah, loving it. There's a police station in um, underfunded Britain where they can save. They can have two interview rooms put on hold. <laughs> yeah, for the, for the case of the broken bench. I mean, it just yeah. I know we shouldn't look too closely at the at the arches or trying to like try and hold hold it to, you know, comp- compare it to reality, but it's just absolutely bananas. And I, I thought it was a, I thought at least he was going to come back in and go, of course, George wasn't there, but you know, I, I got you to, I got you to admit it. Would that be entrapment? Is that even a thing? If he'd lied about George being in the other room? Exactly. Yeah. Do you think Harrison has the mental dexterity to plan something like that? Well, that's what I was, so that's why it's so difficult listening to the Archer sometimes, because I was, running about three thoughts at once while I was listening to it. I'm like, have they made Harrison momentarily competent? Is that plausible? Or is he just, uh, or is he just dealing with people who are so stupid that he's able to outsmart them? And also is he clever enough to, you know, be deceitful to get the job done? Anyway, it was all these thoughts were going through my head whilst trying to listen to it. I mean, fair play to Brad. He pulled an ace card where he said, I, I saw some shadowy figures in an Aston Villa baseball cap. I thought Har- Harrison at that point would have been like, right, it's Roy. Thanks, uh, Brad. I'll see you later. <laughs> Just- well, it, wouldn't, it be, wouldn't it be Prince William or, um, or a confused David Cameron? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Can't decide if he's supporting Aston Villa or West Ham, can he? Exactly. Yeah, the, the famous David Cameron derby. Yes. <laughs> But um, apparently George went as far as to describe them as trying to escape from the dogs like greased ferrets, which is consistent with the (laughs) Grundy family, isn't it? I mean, what I would love to see happen purely from a um, scandalous uh, approach is that Oliver discovers the truth. He gives the five grand to Brad and he evicts the Grundys. Oh, wow. But that wouldn't, I mean, no. I mean, it is, it is mad. It is mad enough to happen, isn't it? I mean. The deceit would have to go on and on and on and on. And the reveal yeah. would have to be bigger. But could that happen? The thing is, is that Oliver has been very forgiving and very kind to the Grundies. He does appreciate all of the kindnesses that have been shown to him. 
by Clary and Eddie, or as he perceives it. I mean, it's not how I see it, but anyway. Um, <laughs> and uh, surely, surely the Oliver we have grown to know is able to separate the sins of the son from the, you know, from the his perceived kindnesses of the family. It just, but then again, it is the archers, and so anything's possible. But I, I want both these plots. I'll tell you what, Matthew, I'll take either of your plots um, that you've come up with for this um, over my what I fear is going to happen, which is a typical three-month grind where they stumble clumsily towards a kind of, um, you know, incredibly predictable ending. Well, every week we gather and quite often we say, what a ridiculous, painful terrible week in the archers that was and i think we just have to realize at some point that it's not always as terrible as we think we just have to piece it all together i've got further evidence to this that i'll raise later but yeah i don't think the archers is terrible obviously i tell you what it is right is when you when you watch a box set um as intended kind of once a week or kind of a netflix show as it's released once a week you kind of like you have an opportunity to kind of cleanse the palate and come back renewed and excited. When you binge watch any series, like in one or two evenings, you start to see the flaws and the cracks and the bits that could have been done better. Cause you just, you just, you know, like it's like an overload of information. And I think sometimes that's what it's like with the archers. Like we're all listening to five episodes a week for years on end. So it's quite natural to, to sort of end up being a little bit, it's like, it's like, it's like having a, being a flatmate with someone. It doesn't matter how good they are. You're still going to find things irritating about them. Like, you know, the way they do the dishwasher, etc. Six f-ing episodes. Not five. Is it? Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You've mentally blanked one out, Peter. Yeah. Oh God. Those were the good you, old days. You've blanked out Sunday. You've blanked out Sunday's episode, which was Mia, Jim and Justin and the bridge farm lot. Oh yes, yes, Mia, Mia the uh, Mia the eco warrior. That was a very that was a big setup for the rest of the week, wasn't it? And then we had Jim and Justin going to war, but it was quite pleasant though, wasn't it? Because it ended up with them, um, you know, having a what seemed like an incredibly cordial chat, all things considered. When uh, Justin had to reconcile the fact that um, uh, what's his name, Martin Gibson, had won the award. Yeah, because Justin pulled out at the last minute. Apparently Martin Gibson's got star quality, Justin was complaining last week. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. Apart from the fact that he answers his phone by going, Gibson! Gibson! I don't really think he's got it. <laughs> and he was on blind date, apparently. I did like I did like that little uh, few weeks when he was a kind of a, you know, a bigger, he was featuring a bit larger in the in the show. That was just in the run up to Christmas, wasn't it? He was taking George under his wing. Yeah, that might still happen. Oh, sorry. Can you hear my? <laughs> can you hear my son in the background? Yes, we got some. We got some fickling action. Yes, so, oh, he sounds like me listening to the archers, wailing. Anyway, yeah. Should I, should I edit that out, Matthew? No, leave it in. Yeah, there we are. Anyway, proof proof he exists. Um, but yes, yeah, so, uh, um, Justin, I thought Justin would sound more like, um, uh, my sweet boy does right now. Um, uh, after being um, done over by, um, by Jim, but actually, you know, he, he did show that he's, a a cooler customer than I expected dealt with it quite well. 
Mm, I I thought that was an incredible gear shift that he was so cool about it. Adil was there as well, wasn't he? Yeah. Playing uh, po- posh car bingo. Seeing as um seeing as uh, Kerry's not here because I I I think from memory Kerry's not a fan. But what do you think of him? Do you think he's t- uh, turning out um sort of gradually evolving into a more likable character? I really like him. Who Adil? Yeah. No, I think Kerry does like him. Does she? Yeah, I think so. What? It was interesting oh, okay. that he said he was there to represent the company because there's yeah. been some chat that he is, like they're going to pull the Adil mask off at the end and Adil's going to be underneath. I He obviously is representing or fronting some other organisation that has got 60% of the hotel. Yeah. No, I mean, what I think is interesting, Oliver is willing to forgive George because he's well he's not forgive but there's some repentance there because he see, he's fixing the bench but we all know why he's doing it because he wants to get his five grand um but adil was so positive with george last week at that bridge farm open day your qr code didn't work but you still did a wonderful job i mean i get the impression the way that adil was with roy He's going to be a little bit like that with George. He's going to be, you know, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. And I feel that they're slightly rewriting his character a bit. Because do you remember when he had um, Roy tiptoeing around behind him, doing every little thing for him because Roy tried to stand on, you know, on he took the moral high ground and said he was going to protest against the new ownership and then came crawling back about five minutes later when he realized he couldn't feed himself. Mm. Yeah, no, Roy is Roy is a weak man. Yeah, it, um, so, so yeah, I it's right. What they're doing with George is absolutely fascinating, isn't it? They're sort of they're showing us that he's kind of duplicitous in a moral vacuum. You then had that scene where he was sucking up to Susan and very, you know, loving or pretending. I think it's interesting because they are he. We really don't know what which way's up to with George, do we? Like, you know, there's just, there does, there are these kind of moments of sort of sincerity. There was the bit where he was caught out by Fallon and he did sound really quite kind of not, not pained by embarrassment, but just pained because, you know, he, he, he felt wrong and he knew that he'd done wrong. Um, so he's, he's a very complex character. And I think that, I mean, if they're doing it intentionally, if they are trying to kind of like uh, uh, um, make us play a guessing game, they're doing it very well. But uh, I'd, I'd, I'm a simple piglety creature. I'd just rather know who he is, so I can just listen and not have to think too much. I think we've got a raging sociopath on our really? hands here. Yeah, yeah. Is everything is transactional, isn't it? And everything has to be about him being in control. Yes. Yeah. I. But is is that a character? Because he's because he's from one of the kind of the the, the main families. Is that supportable as a character for in the long run? Uh, you know, like having someone who's truly immoral, amoral, sorry. No, so I think you have to suggest that he's not going to be around forever. Right, okay. So you think he's going to be like a, a nasty Nick from EastEnders? We're going to yeah. get like three, four years of him being absolutely foul and then he's going to be offed by... Um, uh, do you think this is like the new Will and Ed, like Brad is going to be his kind of mortal enemy from now on? Yeah, Brad's going to behead him with a set square. 
<laughs> Brad is Brad is um, Luke Skywalker and uh, George is Darth Maul. Those two never met, Peter. I know you hate Star Wars. I, I was about to say I don't know why I'm trying to use Star Wars as a point of comparison. <laughs> I'm almost next to nothing about it. Um, I know. Okay, I know there is a character called Darth Maul, and I know there is a character called Luke Skywalker, and uh, I. Th- think um something like the, the the didn't they both fly in the millennium dome or something i can't remember but um i'm not gonna rise to this peter are you a big fan are you a big star wars fan no i, I really do like star wars i'm willing to admit there's been some absolute clangers but in terms like of enjoying the stuff that's in the canon yeah absolutely loving the mandalorian in the moment i got a soft spot for it i think it was the first movie i ever saw this i saw the first one at the cinema in 1977 to give you an idea all right okay well i you know you you go to sleep in your jar jar binks pajamas tonight knowing that i support your um, <laughs> not wearing pajamas. no i don't i don't support that but i am wearing a, a mandalorian t-shirt right now actually really yeah oh blimey you okay well, yeah. no 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 i believe I'll you I, a... you know i'll give the mandalorian a go charlotte and i tried to watch it she didn't like it um as i said last a couple of weeks ago i can now hear kerry I... telling us to get a move on well i did i did show it to my dad because my dad wanted to watch it and um obviously they put a lot of stuff for kids in it because of the the baby yoda character and we watched a few episodes and my dad just turned around to me after a few glasses of wine this is emmerdale in space (laughs) (laughs) well that was the that was the original pitch for um star wars wasn't it it was a, a western in space that was the idea yeah yeah um, so yeah, we, we, we went slightly off track there and we got to get back. So, um, George is a sociopath. Um, he's, um, he's one of the characters from star Wars that people other than me will know. Um, toxic males, Rob, very nicely done. Um, so yeah, I was looking at my notes, Matthew and, uh, I, I, and here it is Pat, um, the most unexpected cliffhanger of the week, Pat outing herself as a reluctant murderer. Yeah. Well, Kerry kind of got there last week, didn't she? When she she? said that, yeah, when she said there was that scene with Pat firing the gun, we even made a jingle about it, didn't we? Of course, of course, of course. It's all coming back to me now, yeah. And um, the fact was, Lee has seen the gun. Why did we have the scene with Pat shooting at pigeons or firing to the air because the pigeons were on the brassicas? And at the same (laughs) at the end of the week, we hear Rob is back. We, We know why. Because she's been thinking about blowing Rob's brains. Of course, yes, and then yes, and it's so yeah, you're, it's all coming back to me now. Yeah, so of course it's not going to be Pat. It's not going to be. It was uh, either you or Kerry were saying Lee is. It's you know, it's more about Lee knowing it's there, and it's yet another reminder. They've given us two little reminders in case we didn't, you know, because no one could be expected to listen to every episode. So the, so we so everyone knows that Lee knows where Pat's gun is. Um, and you know it's going to be the the, the lightning struck um, thunderstorm rainy night. Um, Rob will have cut the power, and you know uh, as he li- as lightning sort of frames Rob in a doorway, Lee will take him out with um, Pat's shotgun. Isn't this, that's the final scene of Patriot Games, isn't it? When Sean Bean and the the real IRA storm Harrison Ford's house. Yeah, exactly. But it, but instead it's uh, um, instead of Sean Bean, it's um, yeah, kind of like 
I think yeah, sort of like a Hugh Grant would play. I mean, I know he's a fictional character, but kind of like I thought Hugh Grant would would play Rob Titchener. I think very well. Yeah, I reckon as he as he gets to the foot of the stairs and starts to ascend, um, Tom kicks a crate of turnips down and they hinder his progress by about 30 seconds. That's about all Tom's good for. He was absolutely <laughs> useless this week, wasn't he? I mean, he's just, is there anything he's good at? He can't stand up to Helen. I mean, not that, not that he really needed to, but he's got, he was completely weak in the face of her kind of onslaught last week. He then had a miserable little temper tantrum because um, Pat told him his sister wanted to have some private information that he was, you know, wasn't instantly privy to. Um, he felt, you know, there was a whole kind of controlling thing going on and a weirdly kind of um, patriarchal, like, you know, he needed to be there to kind of protect her thing, which I guess, you know, blah, 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 his brother dying and issues to do with, you know, uh, masculinity. But yeah, anyway, Tom is useless. Yeah, we have to be clear, the wrong brother died in that family. So Helen, I mean, just the whole thing, the whole thing, I didn't really know where to sort of land because it was all kind of getting us ready for Rob. Uh, The trip to see Jess was strangely anticlimactic as well, as I think it was for her as well. It was like, oh, you already know. And we were all there like, you know, yeah, is this, is this it? Is this all, all, they've wasted half an episode for them going to see Jess and just for us to find out, just for us to find out that Jess knows nothing. Um, well, at least Ursula's dead. Yes, you're right. We we did find that out. Although I would, I, but I was thinking when they, I was thinking um, earlier in the week. You know, uh, uh, Rob's parents coming back could have been a bit of fun. But you know, because them being sent as a proxy in Rob's stead could have been like quite fascinating. Uh, I I kind of thought it would be good if, like, you know, in a drama on TV, the camera would pan out and you'd have Rob with a finger to his ear with a headset telling Jess what to say. thought that would be excellent. But <laughs> oh, or, or, or Jess, the sleeper agent. Yeah. Well, a lot yeah. of people suspected that it was a hacked email or, a, a uh, you know, he was just manipulating her. Yeah. Helen says, Borsitcha Blue. And um, uh, and all of a sudden, Jess is like, Borsitcha Blue. Stab, 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 stab. <laughs> you sure you haven't been watching The Mandalorian? The Man- Manchurian Candidate as well. Well, there's a little, little bit. And you, know, I've never seen that. You've never seen the Manchurian Candidate, or oh, you haven't seen no, the Mandalorian. No, I, I, I haven't seen the Manchurian Candidate, and I feel like it's a, a you know, it's a must see film, isn't it? Mm. Um. Yeah, the remake with Denzel Washington was pretty good as well, actually. Oh, really? Schreiber. Okay. Yeah, very, very good. Meryl Streep, Leap Schreiber, very. Yeah, quite thoughtful. I said Mini Driver. I was like, oh, I can't really imagine that, but okay, yeah, I'll go with it. But. Um. Yeah, so what's she got? She's taking out a non-molestation order. Um, mm. I mean, like, not to be serious for a minute, she's got a prohibited steps order in place already. I've actually got a prohibited steps order, so I kind of know the machinations of that. So mm. um, H and Lisa aren't allowed within 500 yards of me. Oh God! I was taking you seriously for a moment there. I should just, sorry. Just, um, right, okay. Tumbleweed's going in there, definitely. Oh come on! Put the tumbleweed in now, then. Right? No, I'll put in both. 
episode. I'm going to put in 10 minutes of tumbleweeds. <laughs> that was a good joke. It was a good joke. I'm just sulking because I was, I, was, I was being so respectful and I was like, oh, wow, this is quite a poignant moment, Matthew talking about this obviously very private moment in his life and then and you skewered it with your, your, your filthy puns. But, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah, the bell ringing and the steps order. Sorry about that. Um, one thing I thought was a bit on the nose was when they were driving back and, well, Natasha went in on Jess anyway straight away, didn't she? Where she was like, is that it? Is that all you've got to tell us? I was like, bloody hell. Like, give the woman a break. Have you got, are you in touch with him? Have you got emails, texts? And on the way back, she's went, I don't think she's had anyone in her life since him. She had the shyness of a kid. You know, those kids that say, you know, can I take my shoes off? Can I have a drink now? And I was like, she's talking, is she talking about like Tom or Lee in that situation? I, um, my wife walked into my office when I was listening to the episode with, it might have been this evening with Pat having a go at Tom. And she was like, oh my God, the way she's talking to him is awful. And then you had the same thing with, um, yeah, the way Natasha was talking about Jess. I was like, who the hell is she to talk about this person she barely knows? I mean, you could argue that she's trying to be clumsily supportive of uh, Helen, but I just thought it was, you know, massively over the top, as you were kind of hinting at. Mm. A lot of people are down on Lee uh, on social media. And I think we might be a little bit guilty of viewing Lee through the prism of Ryan sometimes. Yeah, because we did make a big show of um, forgiving Lee. We were so anti him when he first turned up. I think we were very pleased with ourselves that we managed to kind of like, you know, start to see some positives and then maybe sort of subconsciously our affection for Ryan kind of rubbed off on Lee a bit. But he is a he is a bit of a tit, isn't he? <laughs> Well, you know, he's he he cracked who cracked worse under tough questioning? Lee from Pat and Tony or Brad from Harrison? Because Lee completely escalated that situation at Bridge Farm after lunch when he was loading the dish dishwasher, didn't he? Because they were like, Is Helen all right? What? Yeah, no, I don't know. Uh is there something wrong? Uh, maybe, I don't know. Oh my God. And Tony was like, oh my God, I'm like, we have to ask her. And he was like, no, don't do that. And then Helen afterwards was saying, well, why don't you just say that my kids are doing really shit at school? Like, that was a get out clause. I was, I was on Lee's side on that. Like, you know, you can't send someone off to, you can ask someone to try and obfuscate or try and change the topic, but you can't ask someone to out and out lie if it's not in their nature. I know, but for God's sake, you would just go, no, nah, she's fine, I think. You'd just do that, wouldn't you? Because... Or you'd say, who wants a cup of tea or walk out the room or, oh, my phone's gone or anything like, you know, I mean, there's a thousand and one. You're right. Like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying he's the sharpest um, chisel in the block, just that, just that I think they can both be idiots. Helen can be an idiot for attacking him for, you know, quite understandably cracking under pressure. And also Lee can be a complete turnip for not, you know, being a bit sharper, a bit quicker on his feet. It reminded me a bit of the the first season of Blackadder, where they're investigating who'd murdered the uh, the woman in the witch trials, and they walk into that village, and Rowan Atkinson said, "Does anyone know what happened here?" 
And this guy just puts his hand up and goes, no, I don't. <laughs> What's up? Well, that's pre- that was Brad at the start of his interrogation, wasn't it? That was pretty yes. much his, uh, yeah. <laughs> Until the shadowy figure turned up. <laughs> shadowy figures that he could, he could actually see their baseball caps, but yeah. So, Matthew, even if the archers can't provide cliffhangers, we um, last week we had our exciting new se- segment. Get your hand off my penis! And I believe you have some penis news. So, should we chuck an advert in and then you can uh, re- um, uh, tell us what's been going on? Ah, yes. Ah, yes, you know your judo. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Okay, Matthew. What um? What other quotes? What else did he say? Um, uh, he said, "This is democracy manifest." This is democracy manifest. So, um, I don't, I don't apologise for going over this again because it is one of the greatest things that's happened in um, human history. So, uh, we will put the link again in the pod description. Um, one of us will try and tweet it out as well. Um, but yes, um, it's uh. Uh, a succulent Chinese meal is the name of the meme. Matthew, what's the news? Well, I mean, first of all, Lee said to Pat, that was a sumptuous meal. It's, can I say that? Is sumptuous a word? And I was really wanting Pat to say, say succulent, Lee, in an Australian <laughs> accent. Uh, Joe got in touch after last week and said, loved hearing you all back together. My husband wanted to know why I was Googling succulent Chinese meal. <laughs> Well, better than uh, better than uh, get your hands off my penis. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Charlie Vivant, who is uh, um, just followed us on Instagram, followed us on Twitter for a while. Uh, she's she's down in Bristol. Uh, she was the one that sent that wonderful Simpsons meme to me. Did you see it with the guy oh, which passing? One was the one where they're passing the like the love note in class. Oh yes, yes. And she looks behind. It's and the person is a Chinese meal. Turns around and uh, uh, Jack K or Cecil, whatever, or Charles Doe's or whatever name he's using now, if he's not dead, because there was a rumor that he's actually died. He's sat behind her, so yeah, mm. very good. Uh, Charlie's well sound. Um, not her real name, I don't think. But um, we keep meaning to meet up for pints in Bristol. And family and other stuff gets in the way. And Techy Raffles got in touch on Instagram to, they must, um, this is going to pain you, Peter. They yeah. slightly misunderstood your venom last week. Uh, okay. They've written, your description of Folkestone in this week's episode as a smelly, fishy drug den fits quite nicely. <laughs> yeah, they have misunderstood, haven't they? Uh, I, 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 I didn't finish. Fits quite nicely with the chitty, chitty, bang, bang music. Fishy, fishy drug den. Fishy drug den, yeah. Uh, so I do, I mean, fishy drug den is probably a, a fair criticism of Folkestone as well, um, because as we have spoken about, all three of our homes, all of all three of our seaside homes 
do smell of the marijuanas and and I guess obviously the fish as well. But I was talking about Porto, um, a city I, yeah. I, I did I, I did want to cycle to Porto. That's still on my sort of bucket. I don't have a very long bucket list, but it's still on my bucket list is to cycle from um, Bilbao to Porto. So you know, um, I have nothing against Porto. What I do have something against is my pod mates um, attacking me, un, you know, uh, unapologetically and relentlessly on air. Um, because to be honest, I have enough of it off air the rest of the week. So this, the, the you know, the few minutes we're recording each week is about the only t- only bit of pace I get from the motherfuckers. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So if you want to get in touch on Instagram and set the record straight on um, Folkestone, it's uh, at the Cider Shed Pod. We got the same Twitter, which is at the Cider Shed Pod on Twitter. Carrie is obviously normally in charge of that. And she's been down under and traveling around. So that's been quiet this week. And I've been way too busy with apartment stuff to do it. But normal service will be resumed next week. Uh, We had a new review. Uh, This is quite a good link. Um, From Jezebel, who said, uh, five stars, bloody marvelous. Be like the cool kids and join the Patreon. So we have a Patreon, which is... uh, patreon.com forward slash the cider shed come and join us there uh, we release the episodes early on saturday so you get them and there's no ads in those there's nothing particularly original or new to say about that except for the fact that we are sincerely grateful as you know we say it, we can't say it enough times we're very very grateful and it does mean a huge amount to us um you know yeah 100 I mean, yeah uh, the, the listening figures are sort of abstract really because you know when you do something a bit like this i don't think you really think of you, know, you think of individuals you're talking to you don't really think of kind of crowds of people but obviously the patreons do add that kind of um that very personal connection yeah i've got i've got a confession like when when i'm doing the edit and i'm loading up the pod um onto patreon i'm kind of always thinking about the people that messages because we get little messages that ping in as the episode goes out on a saturday and they're always like yeah, appreciative. So I'm always kind of thinking, ah, oh, they'll be happy that this drops at this time and stuff. Exactly. That's that's probably the most kind of immediate feedback we get every week, and it really is appreciated. Um, so Matthew, um, we need to. Uh, you're exhausted. I'm exhausted. You're exhausted from being at the top of a ladder. I'm exhausted from having a toddler. Um, and we need to go and get our beauty sleep and get ready because next week Warbis is back, and she will expect us to be on our best form. Well, you say that. I'm entertaining in-laws who are just arriving from Lisbon right now. And tomorrow night I'm going to see Bill Callahan in Braga. So it's like a different species, you and me. I mean, we are <laughs> we are we are months apart in age, but it's you know, it's a totally different thing. I'm it's mugs of Horlicks and um, you know, um, mending my cardigans at this end. And you're kind of like, you know, injecting heroin into your eyeball behind some gig in, you know, uh, uh, you know, a, a converted part of the <laughs> Porto docks. I think I think it's a seated gig in Braga, which is a different city. I don't think it's going to be anything like you're imagining. Um, yeah. So just before we go, um, Facebook group called the Cider Shed Podcast, or you can email me, email us at hello at the cidershed.com. Peter, what happened two years ago? And two years and three days ago, for the very first time. First pod? It was the first pod, yeah. Yeah, mad. 
two years of absolute madness well thanks everyone as as always and yeah um but okay so kerry's probably um landed in uh, dubai now um uh, causing a ruckus in terminal three um so yeah we'll see you we'll see you all next um next friday yeah take care everyone see you bye Hello.